Hello, how the tech are you? I am historian Matt, and we are jumping straight into stories today. Uh, see, my co-hosts will introduce themselves later, but my first story is nothing's iMessage app is now nothing. <laughs> uh, real quick, what what that was is uh, nothing. There's a nothing phone uh, created a messaging app which would allow you to send messages to iPhones and show up as blue bubbles. This is kind of a versus green bubbles if you're on normal Android phones and the nothing phone is an Android phone. Uh, turns out that uh, the process they were using, which uh, was an app created by a company called Sunburn, Sunbird, uh, was riddled with security issues and taken, was taken down 24 hours after they put it up. Uh, and, uh, yeah, the part of the problem was they, the app, which basically nothing had reskinned, uh, for their, for their own phone was, uh, asking you to give them the Apple username and password, which is a security issue right there, especially if they didn't have stuff, um, well encrypted, but then they actually were sending text messages unencrypted. It, it seems to be unencrypted to their services, not, you know, once it gets onto the iMessage service. But uh, yeah, what do you guys think? Have you guys heard, did you guys hear about this and this whole fiasco? No, I'm but familiar. I did hear that RCS is going to be the new standard anyway, and it's going to kind of get rid of all of this. Yeah. Yes, I'm very happy about iPhone finally being willing to, to implement RCS. But I've heard of nothing. I didn't realize that they had a, an app that supposedly uh, interfaced with iMessage. I don't know why this, why you'd even want this from like, a, from like an Android perspective. Why would you want this app to even exist? Well, uh, I can tell you why. I, okay. I didn't really go into details in this, but I don't know if you've heard of like the guess you call it the blue bubble envy kind of thing at all. But the idea was, so if you're on an iPhone, you send a message, text message yeah. to another iPhone, it shows up as a blue bubble because they're using their uh, messaging service. If you send it from Android, it's SMS. It, it shows up as a green bubble and yes. people who had iPhones were making fun of the people who have Androids. And you could very quickly tell who had what kind of phone based on the color of their, their text message when it popped up. So this is for people who are very status conscious and somehow iPhone seems, is the higher status one. That seems to me like the silliest thing to worry about possible. Like I can't, I can't I even can't imagine a sillier thing to worry about. Yeah. I got to tell you the first time somebody told me I had a green bubble, I didn't know what the hell they were talking about. <laughs> And when they told you what it meant, did you give a shit at all? No, no. I kind of yeah, told them that right. like, it was like, it was like somebody I'd been on like a couple dates with or whatever. And I kind of told them that like, maybe like worrying about what kind of phone everybody has, uh, might make people not want to go out with them again. And then I told them I didn't want to go out with them again, though. It wasn't because <laughs> of the bubbles. It was just a, it was a good enough time. Good a time as any to tell them I didn't want to go out with them again. <laughs> I feel like I would rather be in a room full of people who care deeply about their own IQ than like. Oh, I don't know. That's a, that's a, deeply that's, about that's a, that's, that's, that, that one's close. Is. That one's close. Uh, more <laughs> on that on another one of our shows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Um, I, I know you have both HK because you're a software developer, yep. um, but you, you you use your Android phone as your like primary. Like if I were to text you, I'd uh, with the number I have, I'd probably get your uh, Android phone, right? No, I actually use my iPhone as a, as my primary phone. And I almost switched back to, to Android. Um, uh, if this phone, the brand new iPhone, didn't have Lightning, I would have switched back to Android or not uh, Lightning, uh, USB C. I would have switched back to Android because, like, I literally don't care. They're the fucking same to me. Like, yeah, they, ac- they accomplish they the work same the thing. Same. Yeah, they work the same. They look the same. Like, one has an Apple and the other has a little green robot. Who cares? Yeah, yeah I think that. And I think maybe maybe we're just like aged out of this because we all come from a time where our first phones, maybe we even had to use T9 to text people. (laughs) So we don't. So I think there may be a little bit of a generation gap here where like people maybe over 35 or over 30 even don't care about this. And it might be like a younger uh, person thing. Or maybe some people will just say it ironically because they heard other people saying it and they don't actually care about it. I was fucking fast I mean, with T9 too. I could text someone with one hand in like a minute. Text someone a long message in a minute. Just do 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 I got I got a new phone and I can no longer text with one hand because the phone's too damn big. <laughs> I feel like uh, we're old enough that our identities aren't really tied to you know, the phone our daddy's bought for us. So I, I also <laughs> feel like uh, as uh, the three of us probably spend more time on a computer as our primary, like compute device than maybe uh, younger people. Cause I think that yeah. a lot of younger people, maybe they have a laptop, but they don't, they're not sitting in front of it all day. Right. If they want to even chop, edit a short video or whatever, they're doing it on their phone or mobile device. Whereas, you know, HK, you're still a software developer. Matt, you are, uh, I would call you unemployed, but that's not quite accurate. Um, but, <laughs> you know, if you find by me, <laughs> but if, if you're going to hit me up on Discord, for example, uh, you're probably more likely to just do it on your computer than your phone. Discord, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, like, and uh, I do have it on both, but yeah. Discord, and I mean, definitely. I'm on, I'm on front of my computer all day, um, you know, doing show prep and editing videos. So, my, my phone. Like if I didn't have a KDE connect, I would have no idea when anybody texts me or anything like that. Like, <laughs> so I think it's, um, I think it's, I think it's maybe generational, but it also may be like HK was saying, or maybe I forget which one of you were saying it, that the people who are concerned with their status in what I would call a fairly unhealthy way sort of care about that. Yeah. yeah. Like as someone who has both, they literally like, they, they're the fucking same to me. Like yeah, I've never, I've never had an, I've never had an iPhone, but I mean, I, I don't know. I might buy one one day. I, I, I don't know. But then I'd have to like, I don't know. I don't even know what I'd have to do different. Probably nothing. Just probably have to redownload my apps uh, manually instead of letting the phone do it for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, what do you got next, Matt? Okay. Uh, oh, that's my cursor. Okay. So title of my next uh, piece is Elon Musk's flying penis explodes all over the Gulf of Mexico. What am I talking about? Well, of course I'm talking about SpaceX X's latest version of Starship, uh, which launched on Saturday from the company's South Texas launch site. So, uh, Starship is SpaceX's large rocket. Uh, the, I forget what they call it, but it's their, their biggest rocket. And apparently it's the the biggest rocket ever made. I'm not hundred percent sure on that, but I keep reading that, uh, in different places, but I would like to verify, uh, before I make that claim solidly. But anyways, the, 
The rocket flew for over eight minutes before exploding 100 miles over the Gulf of Mexico. I believe that's 100 miles up, <laughs> not traveling 100 miles. But uh, the goal was actually to try to fly mostly around the world. And it was supposed to basically splash back down, down to Earth before completing the entire orbit. And it would have splashed down in the Pacific. Instead, the rocket made it past the separation stage. It's, it's a two-stage rocket, and it, it actually uh, separated. It's called a, a hot staging, as they call it, where, where the rockets on the second stage actually fire before the first stage uh, rockets completely stop firing and separate in a special way. Um, unfortunately, a few minutes after separation, the automated flight termination system triggered destroying the second stage. And I didn't write in my notes, but the first stage also, uh, it didn't, it didn't blow up what they call it. It, it broke apart, uh, shortly after it separated. So it successfully separated, but broke apart. Their intention was to have it, uh, basically have a soft landing. They, I don't think they were actually planning to try to land it on a barge out at sea, which they've done in, with some other rockets. Uh, the future, they expect to do that, but this time, it everything blew up, so <laughs> they couldn't do it at all. The rocket did officially make it into space, which is the first time they've done it with this rocket, the Starship. Uh, what do you guys think? So the the first separation was expected and successful. The the next several million separations were unexpected, correct? Yes, and they don't know. <laughs> It's a rapid, unscheduled disassembly, right? Yes. Uh, they don't know why the the failure uh, system uh, went off and blew up the, the second stage yet. Uh, they, of course, have gathered a lot of data, uh, and it's just, at this point, as, as, as the recording of this podcast, we don't know why it decided to blow up the second stage. Maybe if we find out before editing, we can put in a little text thing or lower third to say what happened. What's editing? <laughs> we do edit so, this one. <laughs> so what you're telling me is they have a system on board this rocket that decides to abort the launch and self-destruct. Yep. And it doesn't send any sort of signal or telemetry about why it's doing that. I think it did, um, but they, they also collected attention. a lot of other data and maybe it said why it, it happened, but they're not releasing it yet. Uh, they may okay. be doing further analysis. That's what I think is happening. But nobody seems to know why it went off just that it did. And it does that because they think, you know, it's supposed to do that for several reasons, including if the rocket starts to go off course. They, of course, don't want it to go land in a populated area. So they blow it up before it goes too far out of, of, off course. But uh, yeah, we don't know exactly what happened. Okay. Hmm. You know, this is a private company, so they have probably, if maybe if the uh, data is embarrassing to them, maybe we will never see it. That's true, but I, I doubt it unless it's very embarrassing or they may just make something up. I don't know. Uh, make something up is always an option. You are correct. That's true. <laughs> it doesn't seem like SpaceX tends to hide embarrassing things. I mean, they, they kind of have a lot of embarrassing failures that they're pretty public about. So yeah. I would be surprised if they were hiding anything here, but, uh, you know, I could be wrong. Yeah. 
Well, I want to point out that they don't consider it a failure uh, or the mission as a whole as a failure, as it did make it further than the last time they sent up the, the rocket. They got to certain milestones that they really wanted to be done, including that separation, the stage separation, which they didn't do in a previous, they weren't able to do in a previous launch. Uh, so, yeah, even though, <laughs> obviously, when your rocket completely blows up and, <laughs> and you don't recover anything, it certainly seems like a failure. In their case, they're not yes. really. I understand that, that SpaceX tends to not call things a failure no matter yeah. what. The other, the other nice thing that happened is they didn't blow up their launch pad like they did last time. <laughs> I don't know if you heard about that, but this I time did. the launch pad actually survived. <laughs> that was a feature. Yeah. <laughs> all right. That's all I got. All right. Well, what do you got, HK? All right. Hey, how the tech are you? I am HK, and uh, today I, my first story is sing like a robot. I mean, a bird. Uh, scientists produced a new AI model that produces more examples of rare birds' songs to help classification models learn to tell between them. Uh, that was a lot of information very quickly. Uh, so let me try and break this down. There is a, a, a training set of data that includes species of birds and examples of their song that scientists are training models to, to learn to classify uh, a species of bird based on a recording of its song. Uh, the problem with this, this data set is that common species are way overrepresented in the training data. And when you have something that's way overrepresented in training data, that generally produces a bad result uh, in the trained model once you're inferring using that model. So this new model that scientists have developed uh, is a generative model that will produce additional audio samples of rare birds' songs. So you feed it uh, several examples of a rare bird's song, and it will produce additional examples to give to the, uh, the model that you're training to differentiate between them. Uh, and the way this actually works is very interesting. What they do is they turn a, an audio sample into a histogram, which is a, a visual representation of that audio. And they, they feed these histograms. They train a model based on these histograms to produce new histograms. And then they take these new generated histograms and turn them back into audio samples. And that's how they, they trained this model to generate these new samples of these birds' songs. Uh, something else that this, this can do is uh, help uh, preserve uh, the ecosystems of these rare species. These rare species live in ecosystems that if you had humans invading them all the time trying to capture their, their songs, uh, it could potentially damage that ecosystem. So this allows scientists to generate new songs without having to go out into the ecosystems of these rare birds. What do you guys think about this? I wonder, are any of the birds going to sue? <laughs> <laughs> Who owns the intellectual property of the bird song? <laughs> uh, I believe uh, animals cannot own copyright. <laughs> maybe, maybe the band, the birds could sue. <laughs> 
What about Twitter? Do they own any of it? <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> They're X now. So. <laughs> um, so does this mean like in, in the future, I'll be able to just like hold my phone up and it'll tell me what bird is singing sort of like it tells me what song's playing on the radio. Yes. Oh, (laughs) okay. Yes, exactly. And that's um, that's the goal of this project. But just real quick, it shouldn't, it shouldn't surprise anybody that more common birds were like overrepresented in the sample, just because the samples are going to be more common because the birds are more common. Yeah. But it does produce a problem where, you know, something, the, the model that you produce, uh, given a, a sample of a, more rare bird uh will tend to be incorrect and and choose a a common bird gotcha so my question is on this which like i understand i don't fully understand how the the histogram thing works but like you're not just training on like i don't know the frequencies of the sound but like the the birds actually have a song they have a certain pattern to their to their song Mm -hmm. But it sounds like they're making, they're almost making new patterns, but I'm not sure they, what are they adjusting to make these new, uh, samples for training samples? Uh, for that, you'd probably have to ask them. I'd imagine it's, you know, something akin to like how stable diffusion can create new examples of something it knows very well. So, you know, stable diffusion, for example, uh, knows things like a car very well. So it could create new examples of cars, cars that right. don't even exist. Right. Except that it, these rare birds, by definition, it does, shouldn't it not have enough examples? Like it wouldn't really know the birds very well. Um, I'd Good assume times. that they have enough examples to train it well, because uh, in the article, they said that it increased the accuracy of the ultimately trained model uh, that classifies the birds by about 12%. So okay. that's a non-insignificant amount. No, that, that's actually pretty good. Uh, so I was just wondering if it was like that or something like, um, I mean, cause this sounds more like AI, but I know like Google with their or Waymo, right. With their self-driving cars, if they, they had these different um, scenarios that they train the cars on. So they, they would have like a, one example was some like guy like dropping a, a cardboard box in the road in front of the car and the car would have to figure out what to do. And so that's great. You can have like one scenario, right? Well, they went in and they were able to adjust it so that they would, they'd make new samples. But what they do is they adjust the timing of things. Like is the car closer or further away? Uh, when does the guy like drop the actual box or something like that into the road? How far does it go? into the road, there's, there's like parameters of this, of the sample. And then they can make like hundreds of, you know, or maybe even thousands of samples from just this one initial sample. I was wondering if it was something like that, where they're just adjusting it slightly to make new, new versions, which could be uh, useful. I'm not sure. The article didn't go into to that specifically. Okay. So I'm sure the scientists that worked on this would be happy to, to talk to you about it if you wanted to send them an email. But, yeah, uh, maybe. Uh, it's linked in the show notes, right? So, <laughs> yep. Check it out uh, later. I I have uh, I have had the experience that if a if a scientist puts out a paper, uh, pretty much guaranteed, if you email them a question about it, they will be more than happy to answer your questions. Okay. Scientists love talking about their research. 
<laughs> that, that is true. <laughs> All right, what do you got next? All right, my next story is, you guys remember a few months ago, uh, all over the news was this room temperature superconductor. I think we reported on it. Yep, the the paper actually came out in March of this year, but it was a few months ago that it was all over the news, um, and everyone was saying it's probably fake. Well, guess what? It was fake. (laughs) Uh, This is the... uh, the third article retracted from physicist. I'm, I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Ranga Diaz of the university of Rochester. Uh, so that guy is not having a good time. Uh, eight of the 11 authors of the original paper requested that the journal nature retract this, this paper. Sorry. Was it nature? I I forget. Uh, whichever journal, published that paper paper uh they requested eight of the 11 original authors requested that they retract this paper uh this was after many months of fellow scientists being completely unable to reproduce the results that were uh, that were given in this paper so it is no surprise to me and i'm sure everyone else that no in fact this room temperature superconductor was not yeah, I got nothing. I don't know anything about superconductors, <clears throat> but I do know um, a thing or two about uh, people publishing papers and then uh, those papers not being uh, replicated. Do we know if the uh, if uh, the the original author is uh, going on uh, all kinds of podcasts saying that the Nobel Prize <laughs> has been taken away from them be- because their work is so revolutionary? <laughs> I'm going to assume no, uh, <laughs> but Are I don't you actually know. something in. A- from another one of the podcasts, I might this. be referencing uh, a, a pair of uh, a pair of brothers from a, a different <laughs> podcast. In there, there, the difference here is, of course, this person uh, did publish their work in a journal and subjected it to peer review, whereas the other people, I don't know, did it on a napkin or something. So, yeah. <laughs> so when we uh, reported on it previously, I don't remember how how long ago it was. The same ex- exact the room temperature superconductor. I believe we said that people were having trouble replicating it and they weren't sure if it was actual real results at the time. So uh, it's good that we're circling back. My, my question is at the time they didn't know if it was, they didn't think it was just completely fake, but that it was, you know, they were having trouble replicating it that um, they just weren't sure that what they were seeing, you know, the results they were seeing were um, because of superconducting properties, if that makes sense. Uh, so, but this, does this mean that it definitely was fake? The person, the researcher posted, uh, the original researcher did uh, in fact make everything up or what? No, I don't believe that it was uh, intentionally malicious, but uh, it was, the study was a very poor quality. Okay. Uh, and it, it came to conclusions that the data did not support. Gotcha. Okay. Do you know, and this is, this is probably like way outside of what you would know from having read the article. Do you know if anything, uh, I don't know if a value is the right way to talk about it, but was anything learned about the nature of superconductors through, through this, even though the, the core, the big claim was, you know, un, unable to be reproduced? Uh, if there was anything, anyone gleaned from this, uh, it wasn't covered in the article. 
Uh, I think the one thing we did learn is you can't make a superconductor this way. <laughs> yep. Which Correct. is funny, but is actually a valid uh, outcome for a lot of experiments. Yeah. Yeah. And no, something, something failing isn't there's just like the, the hypothesis not be not being borne out by the evidence doesn't mean that your experiment or that your paper failed. You could definitely learn things when you, when the thing you thought was going to happen didn't happen. Yeah, it's just like when your rocket explodes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or when you or when you don't get the Nobel Prize. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess it's me. Hey, everybody! How the tech are you? I am producer Dave. I'm the producer of this and all of the shows here on Echoplex Media. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't fucking know. Um, my first story is about OpenAI. Um, before we get started here, I'm not an AI expert, but this, this stuff, I'm here for this. Um, Sam Altman was hired by Microsoft uh, as OpenAI has its third CEO in as many days. Uh, Altman was uh, fired by the OpenAI board of this just this past uh, Friday, uh, three days ago is the, uh, the recording date of this show. Um, Greg Brockman, another co-founder at OpenAI, is also joining Microsoft. Uh, Emmett Shear, the former CEO of Amazon's Twitch, what's Twitch, uh, will join OpenAI as the interim CEO. Uh, Shear replaces Mira Marathi, who was named as interim CEO when Alt Altman was fired. Marathi will turn, return to her role as OpenAI's chief technology officer. And uh, if I do say so myself, what a shit show. Anybody got anything? Any any? I, I've been reading about and kind of, uh, you know, listening to other uh, more knowledgeable podcasts about this since Friday. So I might be able to answer some questions if y'all have them. Uh, I haven't been uh, reading closely. I definitely heard about it. I didn't like following any podcasts or read deeply. And I was, I was about to, that was one of my alternative uh, stories for the show. So I'm glad you covered it, but do you know why? Like, so Altman was basically kicked out. Like, do you know what, what happened there? And, uh, yeah, he was kicked, he, he was removed for uh, lying to the board. Was there yeah. was there reason? Um, he it may have been a lie through omission, right? There may be there may have been some uh, language in his agreement th that he would talk to the board if he was in negotiations with other companies. And him being hired by Microsoft pretty quickly after he was fired leads me to speculate that it maybe was a lie of omission that he did not tell the board that he was in negotiation with Microsoft or they may have asked him and he just said no, because these tech founder CEOs are, um, uh, they, they like to lie. Actually, they're good at it. That's how they become tech CEOs. I think so. Um, you know, he was the public face of the company and, um, I don't think they wanted to fire him because he was fairly charismatic and uh, a lot less creepy actually than uh, other tech CEOs, or at least on the surface. You know what I mean? Like when you would give a talk somewhere, you'd be like, Oh, this seems like a human being. And uh, that's a, it's a shame for open AI. This person that's replacing him, uh, Emmett Shear. I don't know. He was the, uh, the CEO of Twitch, which is a very public facing thing. It's a streaming service. And I would imagine that person is also not, um, like robotic or whatever that they know how to give a talk because they've been, you know, been on stage and stuff at TwitchCon and all this stuff. So I assume that this person will be, um, you know, good at communication. I don't know actually how much Sam Altman knows about AI as a technology. 
Um, I don't know if his uh, core competency was management or uh, raising money. I'm probably raising money, but I don't know if he was also an AI um, a researcher, or AI uh, programmer. Uh, do either of you know the answer to that? Actually, no. Yeah. Well, this is how the tech are you, where we don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> the best tech podcast, the only tech podcast, actually. The other ones you're listening uh, to do not exist. Uh, pretty soon, we're going to change our name to How the Tech Would We Know. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my first story. There's there's not really much there except what's been written. Um, maybe maybe somebody will spill the tea later. And maybe we'll be covering that. Uh, my next story here is actually a fairly quick one. It's about Spotify and the App Store, Google's App Store. Uh, like Spotify got a sweetheart deal from the Google App Store. We'll bypass a lot of the Android fees. Uh, this came out during the epic Google antitrust trial that's been uh, going on. Uh, everyone else pays uh, 15%. And uh, Spotify was paying around 4%. And the Google representative said the, the reason for this is just that Spotify is very popular and it justified the deal. Um, this might kind of be a non-story, but honestly, I was you know kind of hustling to get stuff done today. Um, are either of you Spotify users? I used to be. Nope. Uh, I used to be until uh, essentially all the stuff with Joe Rogan happened where uh, Spotify stood behind him even though he was spreading a whole bunch of COVID misinformation. And I thought, you know what? I can't give this company my money. So I switched over to Apple Music, which by the way, works on Android. And Apple Music has been amazing. Uh, and as far as I know, Apple doesn't support COVID misinformation. I could be wrong, but. Well, that you know. the podcasting question, I believe, is also available on Apple on Apple's podcast service. Although, Joe Rogan? No, he's exclusive with Spotify. Oh, never mind. Um, no. Yeah, I, I mean, I still use Spotify. I just use it as my podcatcher because it seems to be the best one for Android. Um, there was a couple shows that I couldn't find, actually, like on other podcatchers because I think they. I think they're on maybe maybe they're on Anchor or whatever. And Anchor, they say, or it's now called uh, Spotify Podcasts, right? But now they say they send it to everywhere, but they don't actually send it to everywhere. They have no they have no you know reason to do that. Sure, they send it to Apple Music and maybe iHeart. I forget what I was using. I am thinking about switching to one of the Podcast 2.0 apps though soon, just because that's like really interesting and there's ways not, to. Oh, go ahead. Not Podcast 3.0 where they just put it all on a blockchain. <laughs> <laughs> that's that is not it it's pod, it's just uh there's a, a whole new series of apps where people can uh, use something called a sat to support podcasts i don't want to get into it too much because i don't understand it i tried to accept sats for my podcasts and i was like what the hell is this <laughs> is that a crypto thing that yeah sounds like it's a, a satoshi thing. okay yeah it's, it's it's the smallest division of a bitcoin anyway um just my my take on this is uh google the google app store has every right to uh, renegotiate their fees with people. I feel like this. If you're if you're going through an antitrust lawsuit, uh, your platform picking winners and losers uh, is definitely not a good look. Uh, right, and it's definitely evidence that you do, in fact, have a monopoly or a duopoly. Right, and <clears throat> um, the if they were 
if they were open about it, if in the, um, you know, if in their, I don't know if it says anything about it in their terms of service when you're a developer, if they were open about it, it wouldn't be a big deal, I don't think. But it seems like this was done kind of on the hush-hush. And that means that they yeah. probably thought it was bad or that people, or that yep. it would give them negative press. Or maybe if it's like, oh, if you start reaching this level of sales, then we'll, we'll give you a reduced, you know, uh, percentage fee, something like that. Like, or you, you're eligible. Is, yeah. It's available to everybody, assuming you have enough. Sales. Right. You're eligible to apply after you yeah. reach these milestones or whatever. Yeah. I mean, uh, honestly, they should automatically give it to you if you reach those levels. Right. Right. But, right. And there's tons of services that do stuff like that. Um, yes. You know, if you're big on YouTube, you get a better split. Um, yeah. A few people left even on Twitch who are real big on Twitch get a better split than other, than everybody else. But they're open about it. They're not telling you they're not doing that. So, right. yeah, it was a bit of a slow news week, but that's that's what I got. I'm going to do both of you a favor here, actually. I'm going to read the show out for the podcast. But you don't have to do it. Everybody, this has been How the Tech Are You? This is our tech show here on Echoplex Media. Check out all of our other shows. Just go to echoplexmedia.com, and you can support the project on that same website by clicking the support tab. Have a great tech and week.